Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. It's our Bahrain Grand Prix edition uh, with a preview coming up for you. We've got a lot of news to cover as well. We'll talk some supercars later too. So thanks for joining us, joining us again this week. Uh, sounding a bit nasally already. It's the cold of winter starting here. Um, Jawad always joined by Baden and yep, we're already into round two of the championship. Uh, key race you could say. Um, Poles apart from Melbourne with the street track going over to a permanent facility with a lot of overtaking opportunities. What can we expect from this weekend? Oh, it's not so much what will be on track, but uh, often you've already touched on it with your recent articles and by tomorrow evening, our time, there's bound to be some word on the, the future of the sport beyond 2020, so there'll be much to discuss there. And as for on track, uh, Bahrain, it's always since that switch to a, a twilight race since 2014, been one of the better events on the calendar so by next week's edition there's sure to be much to discuss yeah well we have Bahrain as our second race this year we had it as round three after China last year but this year they've uh, done a switch around between the two so Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari heading into the weekend as the leader in the standings um both of them sorry just needed to sneeze there sorry yeah both actually enter Oops, apologies again. Um, both actually enter as being the most winningest driver. And what the hell is going on? This is unacceptable. Torturing you. Yeah, just it comes and goes all of a sudden. Anyway, let's start again. Um, Vettel and Ferrari enter the weekend um, as the most winningest team and also driver in Bahrain. Of course, Vettel won the race here last year, um, whereas. Ferrari, you know, five wins. They've won with Alonso. They've won with uh, Schumacher, of course, that first win that they had in 2004. So um, three wins to Seb, uh, as well as five in total for Ferrari. Hamilton himself, Lewis, is a two-time winner here, including that epic 2014 race that they had with Nico Rosberg, that duel that we all remember. The only other multiple winner of the race, or the only other winner of the race on the grid, is Fernando Alonso, um, who's won the race three times, twice with Renault back-to-back, and then, of course, with Ferrari, that first uh, race that he had for the team back in 2010. So, in terms of qualifying, really, Mercedes still a class above the rest. Um, That much-talked-about party mode, you could say that, uh, caused headlines in Australia. Um, can we expect anyone else to take pole position? No, not really. But talking about the race, that's another picture because, you know, whilst they were in a dominant position for the early part of the race in Australia, um, the safety car, of course, uh, stopped them uh, strategically. And then, of course, they had some software issues as well, which they've said that they've uh, rectified ahead of this race. So, you know, Ferrari won here last year because they had the better strategy. They were kinder on their tyres and just overall their car was better suited to this circuit. Could we see them make it two from two uh, this year? Yeah, Ferrari's got a lot to be confident about, more so than at Melbourne. That was really a a gift to them um, last weekend. So I think that coming here, we saw their bold um, assertion when they really had that criticism from 2016 about their reactive strategy. They were finally on the front foot with those overcuts and it really played into Sebastian Vettel's hands. So employing a similar strategy this weekend, they've got every reason to think, even if Vettel can just get himself on that 
front row, that's going to give him the best chance to at least get off the line well, and if not, to stay within grasp of Hamilton. As we saw at Melbourne, if Mercedes do have a slight blunder in the timing, then that's all it can take, and suddenly it falls into Ferrari's hands again. Yeah, so that's totally... You could agree with that point, that the fact that even though they lucked into the win in some respects in Melbourne, that... Bahrain is a circuit that they perhaps are more suited to car-wise, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. And in terms of the tyres, all three of the top teams, uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, have gone with the same amount of super soft tyres to use. Um, Paul, it's interesting to point out too that McLaren have been the most ex- aggressive with their tyre selection. They've got nine sets of super softs. Now, we saw them strong in the race in Melbourne, and uh, Fernando Alonso had some interesting comments to say after that, which we'll touch on a bit later. But, um, you know, come the race time, we know we discussed last week that qualifying might not be their best suit, but come the race... Um, could those extra set of super soft tyres benefit them with an aggressive strategy and maybe targeting more top five finishes? Who knows? Uh, let's move it down quickly a little bit. Haas, they had their best result here from their debut season in 2016. Roman Grosjean with fifth. So uh, with the form that they had in Australia, could they perhaps replicate that here, except for the pit stop fumble, of course? So that'll be interesting to see as well from the Haas team because in a way, McLaren's results sort of hindered on what happened to Haas so if Haas are up there again in the top five places then McLaren might not have it as easy but this is I guess the uh, intrigue of the midfield battle Haas, Renault, McLaren how are they all going to fare? And really out of those three the uh, impetus will be with uh, Renault to strike back as much as uh, McLaren were fortunate there um, with the, the Haas uh, issues. Uh, they really capitalised. Renault probably, they did well in the end to, to get double points there. Carlos Sainz had his own issues with the, the water bottle there, but they'll be looking to really be the ones uh, nibbling away at that top five. But again, the flyaways, it's still going to be a while before we get that definitive pecking order through the midfield. Exactly. It's, as you keep saying, Barcelona, when we get those updates happening, that will get the definitive pecking order. But, you know, we saw Force India here for two years in a row get crucial podiums, which got him that fourth place in the Constructors' Championship or whatever. Um, could we see a surprise podium come from one of those midfield teams as early as Bahrain? That'll be a big talking point if it does happen. But because we've got such a competitive top three in Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, it would only take retirement or whatever or some kind of dramas to see one of those guys get in there. But um, if it does happen, boy, you know, that could be something really to talk about come next week or whatever, or even after the Chinese Grand Prix in a couple of, or next week. Yeah, well, we know Forced India in the past have been particularly strong here. Maybe not so this year, but it does lend itself to one of this year's uh, contemporary uh, midfield runners there really capitalising on, on an issue. But Red Bull, I think, from what we saw at Melbourne, a lot closer to the mark than they've been any time in the, the hybrid era this this early in the piece. So I think that if it's Ferrari or Mercedes, which have a bit of misfortune, Red Bull will be there to pick up the pieces. Exactly. So we'll wait and see what happens there. And of course, Red Bull with that unfortunate race in Australia, you could say, Ricardo fighting back to fourth and Verstappen just having a real scrappy old affair. But going back to Force India, where do their fate lie? Where does their fate lie, you could say, um, for this race? You know, them, Toro Rosso, Sauber, Williams, they all seem to be making up the numbers at the moment. But, you know, Force India, perhaps the 
better off in that pack. But Toro Rosso, especially again, exposed to Honda reliability failures. Um, their first taste of it in the season, of course, having not had it during the preseason. And Sauber and Williams, you know, they're just going to be floundering away at the back. Uh, um, you know, it's a real fall from grace. I guess we could talk about all season long for Williams, for India. We know what their issues are. But yeah, those guys perhaps just. Um, outside the top 10 could they jag a top 10 finish um if luck is falls in their favor you'd think for force india or maybe even williams it could be possible but yeah maybe not call on it yeah a bit uh premature to say that they're in in the hunt they showed they were really quite <laughs> quite a way off the rest of the field you could say at melbourne it was a a true two horse race there between the points contenders and the rest really just lagging away so it's going to take um, some real attrition to see any of those guys up there and as much as we did think coming into the season it was going to be really open uh, it has proven quite quickly that uh, particularly Sauber and Williams they've got a, a long seven or eight months ahead and then Force India who knows the talk about its own future let alone development but its own mere survival there so the next uh, month will be quite pivotal in determining its own fate for this season yeah exactly but um overall i guess for the weekend itself it's really difficult to predict at this stage i mean we say mercedes is going to be quickest to qualifying can ferrari turn it on for the race as they did last year um hard to really pick a winner but you know if we were to put our money down today i'd even put go as far as saying Ferrari can make it two from two this year for Sebastian Vettel again for the win and Kimi Raikkonen as well has been typically really strong here although he's never won a race here he's I think had the most podiums of anyone um in Bahrain he's so he's missed a P2 here basically about five yes. or six times at least yeah so I think consecutively when he was at Lotus he was finishing second behind Sebastian Vettel 2015 2016 2015 16 as well and what was the story last year was he I think he was fourth wasn't uh, he might have missed out on the podium just but yeah he's always there or thereabouts in Bahrain just hasn't had that win to his name but you know could, could that potentially happen this weekend we'll wait and see yeah I think uh, again for for Mr. Raikkonen there, he showed, um, like last season, that he's getting closer to being up there with Sebastian Vettel and not being so much of making up the numbers, and it was just that luck, really, that strategy, which put him out of the, the picture, but he had a very strong weekend at Melbourne, so I think for him, if he gets a good qualifying in, he just needs to do something right off the line, he really needs to be just streaking off uh, ahead into the, the twilight and give himself the best chance of being not under or overcut by uh, the other side of his garage as so often seemed to be the case last season when we thought we might finally get a another victory for the Finn in red. It's been now well uh, um, nine seasons, really. It's hard to believe 2009. Sure, yeah, almost was his, a decade. So he's now in his eighth season overall at Ferrari across those two tenures. So it's got to happen sooner or later, but he definitely does seem to be really quite switched on. And there is also something about these Arabian races that really brings the best out in Kimi. I think it might be the rose water, you know, not the not instead of the champagne. So who knows? We could potentially have Kimi Raikkonen up there this weekend as well. So yeah, that's our preview for Bahrain. We look forward to the race, of course. Um, let's go over the digest now, and a lot to look over in the last week leading up into this race. We talked a bit about, of course, the. Uh, meeting that Liberty Media is going to have with teams and manufacturers over the weekend in regards to the blueprint. Um, but a lot of talk this week has been about, uh, in the meantime, what is going to happen. So Renault have come out 
calling for an engine freeze until 2021. So it'll reduce costs, of course, if they're going to be working on a new power unit for 2021. Why not just freeze the development on the current power units until then, which will mean teams will spend less on trying to do that and potentially even um, lower the performance gap as well, you know, and allow the chassis developments to take precedence so i reckon it is a bit of a it's a decent idea of course you know of course we want to see these guys getting better and better but you know freezing the engines it's good for cost cutting for now and if we're going to have an all new formula in 2021 you know we probably don't need to see these engines developed any further i mean it's another two seasons um away but it could be good for the competition in that time it could be a double-edged sword, though. It'll be still there, the imperative for Mercedes opponents to really show that they can make a package stand on its own legs rather than needing the, the power there. And Renault, of course, in the previous era, did benefit from the engine freeze. We know how potent it was in collaboration with Red Bull. So it's probably coming from that point of view, and they just want any chance to catch its breath before 2021 takes effect, and we'll know the, the outline of that in coming weeks, and it will probably be... Uh, back to the drawing board if it's not to the um, liking of all the parties we know how um, there's always the uh, division we know Mercedes and Ferrari though they've come together as a a single entity is I guess fighting against everyone else for what uh, they want in their corner but uh, it does make sense on an economic level I think just with the amount of output that's already gone into the hybrids over the past five seasons for development that bit of a chance to pause before 2021 and beyond it as long as it's done right then it might have some legs well Renault of course probably stand under the highest amount of pressure you could say leading into 2021 and perhaps that is a way of them as you say catching their breath because if they're having to work on their current engines and power units up until then and also in tandem develop what's going to be the 2021 power unit then you know they could fall under that pressure again that they did at the end of the last era where they were so um i guess they were just working so hard on their v8 engine but then didn't really pay much attention to the the hybrid one and that's where it all sort of went backwards for them and they're really still just playing catch up (laughs) from then the irony of all of this is Renault were the ones calling in that instance to make the switch to V6s, saying it was the only uh, way which was financially responsible. And yet at the same time, it was so caught up in continuing its success with Red Bull that it took it took its eye off the ball for 2014. And look now, they're still playing catch-up. Yeah, exactly. So, But speaking of Red Bull, of course, and they've had a hand to say in this as well with a call for a ban on party modes, you know, the qualifying engine modes that uh, it seems that Renault still hasn't got on their power units, but Mercedes, to a lesser extent, Ferrari as well, they get better one-lap pace out of their uh, qualifying uh, engine with the engine mode or whatever. So if they ban that, you know, they think that qualifying will be a lot closer, but it doesn't really matter, you know. I mean, qualifying in a lot of the races, except for perhaps Monaco, uh, hasn't really proved to be the ultimate, I guess guide to who's going to win the races well we saw in australia again uh so lewis hamilton's been on pole five times in a row there now and he's only won there once in the last five years so a lot of these races it comes down to the race of course and that gives that philosophy of you know uh the points are given on sunday so it's the onus is on sunday for them to to be able to do something because obviously that being qualifying mode mercedes don't 
get that one lap advantage in the race either, unless they have clean air and they've got the right tyres and everything and the right fuel. So I guess it's only just a really a qualifying thing. Yeah, we did see last season that it was probably quite academic, the results on Saturday to Sundays, and often the, the front runners, particularly Ferrari, making a meal whenever it, it did line up a first and even second. So I think that uh, this early in the piece, it's probably a bit knee-jerk to be making this so-called party mode to be some sort of big bad and regardless of it Mercedes are probably going to have the extra 10th and particularly with Hamilton 10th or 3 there to get the job done. I guess the big thing that we should be talking about with the party modes probably is that you know the whole debate about whether the customer teams have them or not and you know whilst Mercedes say that yeah you were totally transparent with our customer outfits or whatever we get that call we got that call from Force India saying that oh no they don't have the same access as Mercedes do on a, as a works team. So um, that's probably something to address first uh, before calling a complete ban on the party modes and whatnot. So, you know, again, it's one of those innovation things that it's not written in the rules, you're not allowed to do it, but because someone else has come up with it, everyone else is upset it's, because it's of it. It's a time-honored method. Instead of going and employing your own solution, What's it's just, the cheapest? just put a line through it on the spot. What's the cheapest way to um, address it, basically, is to, to ban it. So, you know... It's a bit of an indictment when you think F1 should be about exploiting some rules obviously some are more nefarious than others but in most cases you want to see it as long as it's not going to be prohibitive with the cost factor that 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 making innovations and it's great to see and if it can be applied in any other context rather than um, saying no you can't do this can't do that no no forget about it all it just gets a bit ridiculous yeah it's the great debate isn't it about what f1 really is and whatnot and we talked a bit about it last week with the blueprint um, proposal and all that and we'll talk more about it next week when we know what it is that Liberty Media have presented to the field um, going back to what we said about Fernando Alonso and some of his ambitions for this year so he's come out after the Australian Grand Prix and said that McLaren should forget about the midfield and focus on trying to catch Red Bull so we've sort of not lowered our expectations, but kept them modest by saying that, yeah, they could be at the top of the midfield and target fourth in the championship. That should be what they should be hoping to achieve this year. But Alonso, I guess, a bit deprived of success and he's not had a win in anything for how long now. Perhaps getting a bit edgy and saying that, yeah, you know, we should we should perhaps be a bit more ambitious here. Let's target Red Bull, you know. It is possible... There is a lot of variables that have to go their way, and of course, it all comes down to their car and if it's uh, can be if it can be made to be better than Red Bull, which at the moment it clearly isn't. But you know, it doesn't seem like it'll happen anytime soon. You know, you keep saying next year is the year for them to to make that leap into the top three or whatever. But you know, if by the end of the season they can get to that stage, that would be great. Yeah, we've seen in previous seasons with Honda where they kept forecasting by the end of this season we'll be at this level and by then the competition's already made its own progress so it's become moot. So you'd hope in this case, if anything, Alonso's just giving the kick along to, to Renault as much as McLaren there to to really keep keep it up. And for Red Bull, we've seen their own progress already. They're, they're clearly much closer to the front than the midfield than last season. So he's... 
he's going to be a little bit edgy, you'd think, and he's just trying to have a positive demeanour and work on some of that um, momentum we saw from Melbourne. Well, I guess the big, um, I guess the most positive thing to take out of Melbourne was his team radio message at the end of the race where he said, you know, uh, we can fight, we can fight, and he kept repeating that, saying, yeah, that's finally they can fight, which is good to hear because... There's nothing positive that's come out of his uh, of Fernando Alonso's cockpit in the last few years in the team radio messages. So it's nice to hear something uh, good come out of there at last. So we'll see how they go this weekend, of course. And as we said before, potential for a surprise podium every weekend, depending on what happens at the front. If they in that there or there, if they're in the top five or there or thereabouts, then you know there's always that possibility that they could uh, snag one in. So. Um, our last point to talk about, uh, German uh, publication Amos has reported that Liberty are looking at format changes once again for the weekend and I guess more pertinently is Saturday qualifying. So rather than having, you know, we'll still have our traditional qualifying, but what will determine the grid is a short sprint race on the Saturday, which a couple of years ago was talked about as part of a shake-up for the whole weekend, but the fact that it's been talked about again, you know, perhaps they're serious that this could potentially end up happening and we might end up having more entertainment on a Saturday with a short qualifying race. Oh, Liberty's always looking for ways to, I don't know, give a bit more instant gratification there and talks about shortening a weekend, perhaps trimming it to as little as uh, the two days instead of, you know, Melbourne's had four in the past, even though there's only three with uh, with F1 action, maybe down to essentially Saturday and Sunday, just having the, the one practice session, the qualifying race, and then straight into to Sunday. And I know you talked, or we both probably talked about the warm-up notion at Melbourne making a return from years gone by. It was always good to see the cars in um, some sort of race trim before lights out on a Sunday morning. So maybe that could also be something worth looking at if they are looking at uh, really shaking up the entire timetable. Yeah, they did obviously remove the warm-ups from uh, race weekend due to cut costs and everything, but, you know, on Sunday, just being at the track itself uh, at the Australian Grand Prix, it just seemed a little, you know, it would have been more entertaining if we had the F1 car. Like, we had to basically wait the whole day for the main event, you know, and I guess the build-up was nice with the support categories and everything, but it would have been nice to just see them in the morning as well, you know, a little sneak preview of what's to come ahead. And, of course, MotoGP have that, and a lot of the um, V8 supercar races, well, the more significant, you could say, endurance races, they do have a little warm-up session in the mornings. We know Sandown, Bathurst uh, have that, short practice session just before the race as well so I guess you know one last look at the cars before they go out on track for the race itself I mean it could possibly happen perhaps cut practice sessions to just two on Friday then Saturday have two rounds of qualifying of course you're you're qualifying to determine the grid and then of course then your qualifying race which will set the grid for Sunday and then a short practice session on Sunday morning ahead of the race so you know that could potentially work as a as a format again it'll come down to what they see in terms of timetabling and also costs as well because you know the idea about shortening a race weekend in terms of track time is to do with uh cost as well so the cost of running the cars the less they're out there the better for the team's pockets and also a little bit of talk i think there of uh, 
on a Friday opening up the um, scrutineering or the paddock uh, for where the cars are to the public there so they can get a close look at the, the machinery before it's in action. And this would be a great way just to increase the... Uh, just that relation between the particular supporters and their own teams to be able to actually feel that interaction. Just as long as no cameras and photographers are allowed, because I'm sure there'll be spies coming in. Oh, from of course, <laughs> it'd have to be well, well done, well um, security. But uh, you, you've got to imagine that that would be extremely popular with the fans. Yeah, if they look into that. So I guess that'll be another thing. It's not been specified whether this weekend where they're talking about post-2021 F1 is uh, whether they're going to be talking about off-track stuff as well as on. So for now, we know that it's going to be a lot to do with on-track, but perhaps there'll be some off-track discussion as well to to go over for next week. But uh, let's uh, move it on now and talk a bit about supercars. We didn't really get a chance last week with the busy uh, schedule that we had post the Australian Grand Prix. But um, yeah, you know, we're two rounds into the championship. We've got the third round coming up this weekend in Tasmania. Shane Van Gisbert and still leading the championship uh, by 49 points after having that difficult weekend at Albert Park, of course. And what we did bring up last week was the fact that we've had five different winners now in six races, and it's just showing the tight battle we have for the title. Uh, a successful start to the ZB Commodore as well for Holden. They've had four wins now of those six races, and of course, between three different Holden teams, so of course, Triple Eight, Red Bull. Uh, the HSV, or not HSV, Walkinshaw, Andretti United, and Erebus Motorsport too. So, you know, a bit of diversity there at the top, but, you know, showing that this new Holden is pretty strong, even though if it isn't perfect yet. Yeah, and all that bluster that went on at Adelaide about the composite panels, clearly they showed here that at Albert Park that they've got something really to work with and it puts the uh, comparative battling to the Ford and Nissans to really get in on it and I guess they've got their own futures to, to ponder as far as uh, which which make they go forward with or even remain in the, the sport altogether. Well, yeah, let's quickly go on to that now. And uh, Nissan, big year for them being a crunch year, of course, with their future up in the air. Uh, this is the last year, of course, of that two-year deal that they signed back in 2016. And... Um, doesn't look very positive for them at the moment. I mean, it's going to take a real miracle for Nissan to put pen to paper for a, a new deal. And it might not just be based on their results, which, let's be honest, haven't been very impressive at all. Um, their last win in supercars came back in 2016 with Michael Caruso in Darwin. They've had four wins in total since 2013 when Nissan joined the sport with Kelly Racing. Um, and, yeah, going ahead, it looks like results might not even matter as far as the decision is made it's to do with their global program for motorsport we know nissan are embracing electric with uh, their entry with form into formula e next year taking over from renault they've got their gt racing campaign across different gt categories with the, in the world with the gtr um do they want to develop a new car for supercars because of the Gen 2 regulations? That's the thing, you know. Does it fall in line with what they're doing everywhere else in the world? That'll be the big question that they're going to have to ask. Yeah, philosophy's going to always be prone to change. And based on its return over such a time in the sport, it probably is a big ask. It's going to mean something in probably the first half of the season before any commitment is made. And uh, I guess a bit of conjecture as well. We did hear through the weeks that maybe Simone Di Silvestro is being looked at for a, a better opportunity and even uh, Molly Taylor as well. So clearly a, 
supercars wanting to advance at least on the, the female side someone with an actual decent drive there rather than being stuck in a car which is quite mediocre so you can see that there's going to be some push maybe from supercars there to make it work out in in some respect and if it's not at nissan it'll be elsewhere well yeah simona being in her second season now and also talking about finishing in the top 10 in tassie this weekend they're going to bring engine upgrades of course as well which will be important with the uh, long back straight that they have here but um I guess, yeah, her future up in the air too, you know, the fact that, you know, Beholden are potentially looking at poaching her from Nissan, which could advance her own career in supercars, put her in a top team, of course, if Nissan isn't working out. You talked about Molly Taylor there before as well, the Australian rally champion, former, of course, a lot of pedigree behind her being in a works, Subaru uh, racing in that championship, and of course, Holden trying to lure her into the category, lure her into the category as well, and get more female drivers on the grid. So that would be great, of course. But you know, let's focus on um, Nissan. I guess what their future is at the moment. I think Simona has a three-year deal with with Nissan, so could be broken yeah if Nissan pull out so we'll see what happens in there and of course this is going to be a big weekend because Tassie's one of those really tight tracks where you know everyone's got to have to be on their game and the grid is usually separated by like a couple of tenths or something so it'll be interesting to see what happens there uh they're introducing a new qualifying format too uh like formula one and in moto gp which is a three-phase format i guess it's going to be used here and at barbagallo being small tracks so rather than having all the cars on track at the same time or whatever they can segment it and see you know have the one third of the fastest cars out then the third of the middle fastest and then the slowest cars out on track at the same time so rather than having the whole field congested and people missing out i guess on those uh, top berths and whatnot it'll be a lot more segmented and then we will see less dramas see where it ends up but you do want to see the drivers uh, giving it their all rather than I guess being like a go-kart and being stuck behind someone doing half the pace and uh, you get caught behind them for as much as three seconds and then you're suddenly Condemned to being P20 on the grid. Are you still um, upset about what happened in oh, your go-kart experience a couple of weeks ago? Just a little anecdote, a little analogy. Yeah, from a couple of weeks ago, you were certainly a bit aggro, you could say, being oh, held up behind like a whole grid of... compromised exactly so yeah i hopefully this eases a bit of the congestion there and of course remember what happened last year at this race uh, you were i couldn't even follow it live but you were just texting me throughout it's like okay one guy's off wait they're all off they're all into the wall basically and when i saw the images i'm like this is like a a, a car wreck yard or whatever with all the cars that are piled up into each other and that was crazy the wet weather last year there so hopefully we don't have that much madness this year and we can actually have some racing to look forward to but going back to um i guess the holden teams and whatnot so 
at the title race, uh, Erebus, you could say, are properly a dark horse in this title race. And David Reynolds was talking in that press conference that we were in after the uh, weekend was over in Albert Park that, you know, this is the best start to a year that he's had in his career um, in the category. So... Having had that win under his belt, he had the podium, of course, in Adelaide too. You know, perhaps Erebus are looking like a title contender here and being second in the championship, you know, if he can consistently have good weekends and get regular race wins, you know, they could really be on the board. I think the main thing is being top 10, top 5. You don't have to take them all out, but it's just um, staying clear of the uh, um, demolition derby, something like that, at these kind of circuits just um keep keep out of trouble pick up some points and if they jag another win then they've really got to be uh, considered as a legitimate contender and it's all credit to the way again that since that really you can call it a debacle when it had its tenure with Mercedes a few years ago they've now um gone from Baptist where everyone thought oh it's a feel-good story to, to being right in the hunt yeah they're not underdogs anymore uh they're potentially dark horses which is good to see so speaking of another Holden team that had success at the Grand Prix of course Scott Pye and the Walkinshaw Andretti team buoyed by that breakthrough win there at Albert Park um they showed I guess that even though they had the podium in Adelaide we all knew that that would happen in a way because they've been suited to street tracks but the fast and flowing nature of Albert Park lent itself to their Commodore as well so if they have a good weekend here in Tassie or even next time out in Phillip Island, could we potentially talk about them being back, not as title contenders, but being a, a top team again and contending for those wins? Because, you know, of course, they've had that extra funding brought on board with uh, Walken, uh, with Andretti and United Autosports. And, of course, there's going to be a lot more development going on here in Australia. And, of course, stateside as well, they're going to be doing development for that Commodore. So... You know, could they be a, a heavyweight once again? You know, we saw DJR Team Penske in their first year. They were able to grab a few podiums here and there. Um, and then the second year, they didn't win races, but they were still fighting for podiums and all that. So could we see this as that first year that they had with Penske and DJR getting a few podiums and second year podiums and then eventually launch into a title campaign? Yeah, walking sure. Around the, the season at, at the sprint events, and they could find themselves with both drivers in the top 10 of the standings, and that would already be a, a huge improvement on anything really they've achieved in the past few seasons. Yeah, exactly. And Enduros, as you said, uh, they always seem to do really well at Scott Pye on the podium last year uh, at Bathurst, and then, of course, Garth Tander winning the team's last race in 2016 before Pi one of course here in Albert Park so that'll be interesting to see how that team goes Tickford as well they'll be looking at winning sometime soon of course Chas Mostert was the one that scored a podium for them in Adelaide but they didn't really have a great Grand Prix weekend so they'll be looking at getting a win sooner than later to to get themselves up on the board as well so it'll be it, it's going to be a tight year ahead I reckon but in the end those uh usual suspects should bring themselves back to the front so we'll see how they go this weekend um to start off with and of course we're going to get to that period where it becomes a lull again where we have you know a, a race weekend every two weeks and then in the middle of the year it sort of becomes once every month or whatever we have a race five years ago the 
took us to be ironed out and yet here we find ourselves and they've still not made alterations to the calendar as much as it's now at a, a record 16 official events with, with Melbourne there as an official uh, event on the calendar. It's quite hard to believe that they haven't found a way so it's really got that flowing nature across the uh, really 10 months that it takes up. Well, yeah, I guess the fact that they've got um, a couple of new events on there as well with a... Uh, the bend coming up as well in August and that uh, Sydney Motorsport Park turning into, what do you call it, uh, a night race, just a one-day one event. It should be interesting to see too. So um, we'll see what happens, how we feel come later on in the uh, year. But anyway, let's uh, wrap things up, of course. We'll do our sporting moments of the week again. So what has been, I guess, your favourite moment this week in the last week in sport, you know? Yeah, I guess it's good to see New Zealand as well, and we've talked a lot about Australia, of course, off-air, and then, of course, when we had our discussion last week, and New Zealand really showing the way as far as uh, a good, tightly-knit team is considered. So England, I guess, yeah, they'll be happy to get out of this part of the world and uh, perhaps take some time to reflect and look ahead to the next uh, 12 to 24 months, of course, with the World Cup and Ashes coming up next year as well in their... uh, neck of the woods so we'll see what happens there with them so yeah I guess for now there's not going to be a lot of cricket to talk about which will be good we need a bit of a break from it especially with the way that things ended up last week with uh, Australia and the test team so we'll be grateful for having a bit of a break and then come I guess that one day series against England in a couple of months we'll uh, we'll start talking about it a bit again and hopefully some positive news to come out of it too. Yeah, both. Well, they both they hold both of those trophies in hand, so they'll be entering next year as the defending World Cup winners, and of course the uh, Ashes holders as well. So, I guess to wrap it up, anyway, uh, for me, I guess uh, I was going to do something cricket themed, of course, but I thought, you know, I guess the best story that I heard all week was Billy Munger and his return to to racing, and of course with the. Uh, the F3 championship over there in the UK, his first race back, he finished on the podium, which was amazing to see. And I think a lot of people share the same sentiment that how amazing that is for a kid who almost lost both of his legs. Well, he did lose both of his legs last year, but to come back and come back into competitive racing in less than 12 months is absolutely amazing. And the fact that, yeah, you know, he still has that belief and that dream to one day race in uh the higher categories as well of open wheel racing. I seriously hope that he can get there 
and at his age as well to have that sort of determination and belief, especially after what's happened to him, um, I reckon it's totally possible. So good on him. Yeah, it almost sickens me whenever these keyboard warriors come out and try to make claims like that against uh, what is truly a good feel-good story. You know, it almost feels like they're uh, just eternally miserable about everything. You know, just because they've never been in that situation, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take a, you should take away from someone who has done the hard work to to do it. You know, sure he's had you know the best medical treatment and he's had the best rehabilitation but it it doesn't matter if you've got that it comes down to your own ability as well and your own resilience and the fact that he's made this comeback is really positive and heartwarming and I seriously hope that yeah you know whatever career he forges now it's a successful one and I guess I'll add in that other comment that I wanted to make as well I thought after what happened with Australia and and, uh, the ball tampering and everything even though they got thumped in the fourth and final test, uh, just the way that they presented themselves under Captain Tim Payne, the handshake before the game, I thought that was quite pertinent. And in a way, just, uh, what do you call it, quelling the tempers between the two teams, Australia reached out, called for peace, and I think that was really good to see. because they were never in, in the game. But Tim Payne clearly looks like it fits literally quite appropriately, appropriately like a glove for him as the skipper. And he looks like the right man for the job, however long he might remain as the, the captain. Yeah, exactly. So uh, hopefully from here on we have some... Um good news to bring about Australian cricket of course and you know world of sport in general you know there's always some kind of crisis going on so hopefully we have a good weekend ahead we've got MotoGP on supercars F1 got a lot to watch and if you're into the Commonwealth Games as well I guess you could watch that too so anyway that wraps it up for this week's edition thanks for tuning in as always Um, we'll see you guys next week and uh, talk more F1 and more motorsport thank you